Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. I'm really happy to be here today with Questlove of The Roots and many, many other projects, who has an excellent book coming out called Creative Quest. It could be, in some cases, life-changing, with really concrete strategies to access and maximize your own creativity, as well as astute musical analysis and anecdotes from his own artistic journey. So, what was the initial genesis of this book? Well, first, I want to thank you for uh, that introduction. Life-changing. This is Sound of Money that I'm now paying you. <laughs> no, we do that off the air. We do that later, yeah. Okay. okay. Payola still exists. Um, you know, I, I, as far as it being a, a life guide, or, or uh, I'll say that of, of the, the four books that I, I've done, my first one, Mometa, and this this current one, uh, Creative Quest, were probably the ones that I was least, not least excited, but kind of uh, slow to get started uh-huh. because, well, I mean, for starters, no one, no one wants to do a memoir, sort of like no one wants to get a life achievement award because then it's like, okay, guess it's over. So you know that sort of thing. <laughs> and in the case of doing anything that has me in a position where I have to give instructions like as much as i love spewing my opinion uh especially on like social media and you know writing these paragraphs and stuff i personally uh am very reluctant to take the the teacher position i like to think of myself more like a student yeah but, so i guess i was sort of conned into at least giving uh examples of my own I, I can't even say the word success without laughing. So whatever that word, <laughs> figuring whatever you want to say for success and failures, which I've had a lot of um, sort of documenting them. So, yeah, I, I guess it was time to do that. And I, I, I didn't realize that there was an audience of people that actually wanted to hear what I had to say about creativity. And how about the oblique strategies? Have you ever used them? And for people who don't know, this is like a bunch of cards that Brian Eno made yeah. um, when you face a creative challenge. And I, I've actually used this myself in my not that creative stories where, where it's like, try it backwards, that kind of thing. Well, yeah, I, I use, uh, always used uh, Post-its yeah. around the house. Actually, you know what's weird? Michael Jackson did the same similar thing. And I kind of used to laugh at that because he would... I, I guess during the making of his bad album, he would have these three by five cards all over his house that said 100 million units, 100 million units, 100 million units. And, you know, I guess you, you have to sort of psych yourself out in that, that sort of way. But yeah, in, in, in terms of, of, you know, um, I'll, I've always been a fan of his work. And as far as the, what anyone else would see him as obstacles, he sees as a moment to, to, to learn from uh, a situation. So I figured that was a good example. You mentioned Michael Jackson. You had this interesting note that was in the uh, Spike Lee documentary. Mm-hmm. Uh, MJ will be my new name. This is uh, not you. This is Michael Jackson. Just to right. be clear, we're not changing your name, MJ. MJ will be my new name. No more Michael Jackson. I want a whole new character, a whole new look. I should be a totally different person. People should never think of me as a kid who sang ABC. I should be a new incredible singer, actor, dancer that will shock the world. I will do no interviews. I will be magic. And you... You had a mixed reaction to that, and that, but then came around to it's kind of amazing. I think it is. I mean, because at the time that he wrote it, he was twenty, which was slightly before. You know, this is during the making of Off the Wall, so it's kind of his do or die moment. You know, I mean, in in hindsight, 
knowing knowing of him leaving notes to himself to psych himself out. I mean, it's, it's almost like watching people have that. People have those moments. Like if you watch Eminem in the first ten minutes of Eight Mile, when he's staring in the mirror at himself, he's trying to psych himself up. You know, hype him. Like people do it all the time. They talk to themselves and that sort of thing. But I guess um, writing it out, maybe your your hands manifesting the words sort of creates a, a deeper, uh, reaches a deeper surface in your subconscious that, you know, you have to make these things come true. So I, in the beginning, I thought it was silly, you know, but, you know, I'm an absolute Michael Jackson stan, you know, whatnot. But I was, I think it, when I was younger reading that, I was like, uh you don't have to go that far, dog. Just <laughs> make good music. But now that I see it, I I I know I know people that even go crazier. I I don't want to give one artist secret away, but um I know a particular artist that uh they give their own um motivational talks in their iPhone. Uh huh. And then they loop it on repeat when they fall asleep in their bedroom. Whoa. At a low volume. And <laughs> a certain founder of a very popular uh, new religion actually did that, according to biographies of him. So the, there's, the, wow, maybe they're gonna start a religion too. We can't too. name names. Yeah. See, I can't, name. I can't name my name because he'll kill me. <laughs> and I don't want to name your name because I'm afraid of this of this group. So, <laughs> but you can guess. So we'll, we'll just sit here quietly for a minute or two. Right. Uh, but oh, I, so that's not an old idea at all. No, apparently they, I think they're onto something real scary. Actually, so Shoot, <laughs> I, might be... I might as well try that. I, you know, I don't know if I have the patience to sit down and and actually craft what I want to hear in my uh, my my sleep. I did want to take a step back. Something about reading the book reminded me of a thing that Pauline Kale said about, and I had to look up who she said it about because I couldn't remember who it was. Mm-hmm. It was she said it about Paul Schrader. Actually, she said he is smarter than he is talented. Now, I in no way think that about you, but you are very, very smart and very, very talented. And part of what I took away from the book is that those things aid each other and they may also work against I, each they other. They work against each other. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. I I have to say that the one common denominator that we've always gotten as a unit in the roots is that we overthink things. And really, I. I kind of have to credit, uh, if people read my first book, Momenta Blues. And they should. Yeah. Um, my my manager, Richard Nichols, who unfortunately is not with us today. Yeah. Uh, Momenta, I mean, at the time when I introduced the idea of having someone contradict or sort of have counter notes to whatever my version of whatever the story was my my editors were like well no because no one knows who this guy is and uh, i don't know he's a little scary to us and da, da, da. and i was like no you got to understand like this is this is literally like what life is like from eight in the morning to 11 when i get out of bed like he and i like texting each other and and having these debates and arguments so i would kind of like to see that manifested i guess rich agreed to it knowing that his time on earth was limited because he was dealing with um leukemia and so but literally from from 92 till you know till his passing in 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 2014 that's the point he kept hammering home that you know you have to think in in chess moves and i'll say that you know even though Tariq and i had to both drop out of college to pursue this career rich kind of became a a source of education i mean we we would just have debates like 
pass like any creative album making, songwriting sessions, whatever. Every day starts with a four hour debate on any subject you can think of, mm. be it menstrual entertainment. So I think if anything, Rich just hammering this home. Like I, I don't want people under any impression that you know I grew up in this mental level household where you know it's once you meet rich it just wears off on you and he that's where it comes from well i'll get more specific and and some of this is an issue of intelligence and some of it is an issue of your nature as a student and a a sort of uh, you know a follower of tradition Mm -hmm. but there's an extraordinary part of the book where you talk about uh, wise up goes the album that the roots made with elvis costello in 2013 right and elvis by the way told me that there's a whole live album that you guys wanted to put out which i'd love to hear um but but uh, yeah there's so much on the cutting floor and and, (laughs) anyway but you say you're drumming on it but you're really drumming on it and it's it's pronounced ferroni right steve ferroni uh, That's me as Ferroni. Yeah, I, I, but then you then go on to say that you am I me? Well, both that, but you are so aware of you can channel so many different drummers. Like it seems like every drummer who ever lived, mm-hmm. you have snares that at the Tonight Show, there's a P-Funk one. There's mm-hmm. one named after Gary Katz uh, because he re- he produced or recorded the uh, Steely Dan records. Mm-hmm. There's one from Fish from Fishbone. There's one named after John Bonham. You're, the way that you've cataloged all this stuff in your head, mm-hmm. it does seem like it could be an impediment to creativity. <sighs> and that's the thing. Okay, I'm, I'm going to tell you something hilarious. So yesterday on my own podcast, I interviewed Jack White. Ah, I, I did his cover story recently, yeah. Oh, okay. And so we were talking about Meg as a drummer and how his thoughts on her, like, not getting that much respect as a drummer and, you know, all the flack that she went through. And I was telling him, like, I told him the story of of, of the snares because, like, Get Behind Me Satan was, like, one of my favorite records uh, when it came out. And so I always loved this idea. Like, Jay Dilla taught me how to slow stuff down, but... She taught me how to speed things up, hmm. and that's when I never accelerate. Like I hate musicians that accelerate, and I know like for some songs it's necessary, but um, it took him a while for him to really register. I was like being super sincere because it's hard to convey to people how you morph, and you know, as a musician, you morph into them. And I told them like I'm more like a student of music as opposed to my own person. Like I don't. I don't know. I know for a fact that I don't have a specific style, but you know it's me when I'm drumming. However, there's a process, there's a mental process I have to go through right before I record. And even if it requires uh, a certain outfit or something, there's a. Right, that's the other thing that blew my mind. Yeah. I, okay, I'm trying to remember what album it was. I think. <sighs> You know, okay, okay, I got it, I got it, I got it. All right, so history will eventually show that I've worked with Pharrell a lot, even though there's not evidence of it in the marketplace. (laughs) I'll just put it this way. For every album that Pharrell has ever released, he's come to me a month before and said, remix my entire album, like, as if I remember the roots. And we do this entire album, like, for all of his records, including uh, the the soundtrack to... uh, uh, the space program uh, just came out two years ago. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. H- Hidden figures. Hidden yeah. figures. Yeah. Even that. So this is one we were working on in my mind. And there's a song on there that was like, you know, you have to listen to his music and try to figure out, okay, who's he being derivative of? 
okay, I get it. And then I got to go in that mode of creating that song. And so um, next to Bonham, like Stevie Wonder is my favorite uh, crash cymbal specialist. He has a very distinctive tone in his crash. And I don't know, to to play like Stevie Wonder, um, I know people are like, oh, you, are you mocking him or whatever? But no, um, I I get blindfolders. Because it's different when you don't know where the drums are and your eyes are closed. There's a there's a more intense intense level of 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 playing that I get in my dynamics. And uh, even in wardrobe, like I wore a turtleneck that day because there was a poster that I have of Stevie in the seventies drumming with a brown turtleneck on. So like, but this is like in July, mind you. So <laughs> it's it's a weird process. Like I have to feel like Stevie Wonder. Like, and what would he do? So, I mean, but that, that happens with practically every drummer and every project. So it's, it's weird. Like I don't, but I how, don't have a distinctive style. But how many even other drummers are aware that S- Stevie Wonder has a particular crash style as a drummer? You know what I mean? I, I don't even hear that many other drummers absorbing this level of specificity. It's, it's, uh... I think you're aware of things. Um, I think for a lot of us that that get sucked into music, if you're the youngest of a brood, a bunch of siblings, as I was, um, you're probably in music early, like whether you know it or not, usually by the age of five. Trickle down. had an older sister. Mom and dad were also record collectors, and you know they were in a band and all that. So all these these ideas are coming to me, um, or usually someone has a cousin or you know someone that's hipper that puts them on to something. And it's just Stevie Wonder was I just happened to be of age at a time where he came into his own, the so called genius period between music of my mind and you know i don't sure. <laughs> i don't yeah. want to end the parenthesis but, but, but not to not to belabor but you you actually have a different snare for each album of stevie's prime period which is exactly. truly mind-blowing there's but, three but yeah. i want to return very quickly to this this idea of meg white and jay dilla because i i really love that because i i, I know exactly what you're saying mm-hmm. just to unpack it though a little bit i mean what, one of the things you learn from from jay dilla and it's again the, the irony is is really interesting is you were trying to play in a way that you could be a machine at one point uh yeah. whereas he was making he was doing the opposite he was he was ma- he was making kind of broken mm-hmm. electronic beats and you you had a real epiphany as we can hear on on d'angelo's work mm-hmm. of playing the kick out of sync just to summarize it that's the jay dilla yeah. revelation mm-hmm. the meg revelation right is is you're saying the opposite she would play quote-unquote wrong yeah to f- and, and like the snare maybe would be placed a little too far to the right or whatever like is that over, kind of the all over icky thump and like the last two records between icky thump and and uh get behind me satan i mean really the, i mean their whole canon but yeah. just as specifically on those last two records there's just there's a style of drumming that really can't be duplicated and even he acknowledged that because he said that you know even if i were to play I've played these songs with other drummers and they've either tried to perfect it or it's just it's a, a certain nuance that only I can get because I'm obsessed with I think I'm obsessed with meter and timing like even even in my everyday life I do John Mayer also uh, 
put this on his IG stories. Like he does it different as a game, but I do the same thing where it's like I'm obsessed with counting. Where uh-huh. like when I leave my door, when I leave my door, I try and guess how many paces to the elevator can will will I land? Uh, I for some reason like when alone or whatever, like I'm just always counting. Even when I leave here, I'm thinking, okay, I'm gonna get to thirty rock in two hundred paces. And try to, it's just, a, it's a number obsession and a time obsession thing that I have. And you, I think you mentioned in the book that the Bee Gees got the rhythm from jive talking from like something they heard on the road every day, like a certain bump in the road. Dude, which, on, on the, on the Queens bridge, there's, it's, there's something similar. Uh, when you, when you get on, um, I guess the 59th street bridge or whatever, uh-huh. there's a bunch of textures on, on, there's a bunch of steel textures that has a rhythm on there that you can't. Some people get it from that. Some people get it from uh, the the dryer of their, you know, washing their clothes. Some people get it from, uh, I can't explain it. Like, rhythm comes from a lot of places that you wouldn't, would at least expect it. But yeah, the Bee Gees were driving to a studio and kept hearing a... <laughs> which, in my mind, I was like, well, they had to be doing 70 miles right now. Or, like, or at least there was uh, some sort of a texture every... See, only I'm thinking like, okay, was was the texture every right? You're doing the eight? math in your head, like what speed? Right, they, it's the <laughs> it's the BGS SATs, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah but then yeah. you're like, okay, are they are they lawful drivers? Are they <laughs> are they going under? Like that's what I'm trying to figure out. You had a really interesting thing about Jay Z, and it it goes back to this idea you had or have about two types of artists: type A achievers and type B creatives. Mm-hmm. And it it's interesting because I think. Young, younger people and also people, I don't know, I think this goes back to an earlier idea of Jay-Z that probably isn't congruent with the way people think of him now, but you thought of him as an achiever. He was that then. Right, 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 right. He's only letting us see Sean Carter now. Of course, of course, of course. But now people, it's hard to even explain why you'd think that to, I think, younger people, but but it's because you were, you know, you saw him as as, as having a a gangster ethos, You, you saw, you know. Yeah, like... Meaning, there was a period. I'd like to say that in 1997, that's sort of the the drawing of the gauntlet, or whatever you want to say, like the the proverbial uh, biting of the the apple, where our eyes are open, or whatever imagery you want to use for like when did hip hop notice its business potential and stop being uh, just a mindless uh, discovery of art? I feel like 97 was that period and so much has happened in hip-hop during that year and for me because of the 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 specific circumstances that occurred um which led to my collaborating with jay-z uh prime being being stuck in new york uh during 9-11 in which it's so weird uh we're all in a hotel and you know as it's happening and it's happening in real time in new york your mentality is either like, oh, this is the apocalypse. This is this is the end of the world. I got to get home to safety, you know? And I think I would have thought that had I had a family or a wife and kids, but all the roots are, are scrambling to get out of the hotel. And I'm like, where are you guys going? They're like, we're going home. Where are you going? And I was like, oh, I'm going to Virgin Megastore to grab Jay-Z's record because I think I'm about to be stuck in New York with no music. <laughs> so... I I ran to Virgin Megastore, paid a cabbie like $100 to just wait right here. I'll be back in like 10 minutes. 
We're in Virgin Mega Store and binge shop like a couple thousand DVDs. Or you know, it's like okay, I'm stuck in New York. I might as well entertain myself. And Blueprint was the first and really the only thing I listened to. And um, maybe it's just the, the 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 I think in that specific moment, like it was the end of the world. This is all I'm listening to on loop for like 13 hours. And uh, I happened to pass word to a mutual friend. And I was like, yo, like, I would never say this in public, but yo, I'm really, really feeling this blueprint record by Jay-Z. Don't tell nobody. And which, at the time, I know it's weird now because- That's what I'm saying. It's hard for people to understand. I, I totally understand where you're coming from, but yeah. Hip-hop, yeah. just between 97 and 2001, hip-hop was in such a sensitive kind of- apartheid whereas the haves and haves not like forget the east coast and west coast wars there was a war within new york between a part of it part of it really was hip-hop had always been an inclusive thing hip-hop was like the invention of not being included in everyday society like so all the all the i mean all all the music genres that got invented in 77 think of think of going to think of now rogers not being allowed to go uh, to Studio 54 to see Grace Jones and then making the biggest single in the history of Atlantic Records, La Freak, yep. because they couldn't get at... So imagine that for everyone. So thus, you know, punk the punk movement starting in the East, in, in, uh, in the East Village and hip-hop started in the Bronx and then uh, the underground uh, disco music, which morphs into electro and house. And that rejection in 77, that, that sort of upscale rejection causes all the subcultures to really uh, come to fruition. And if you look through history, any any subculture eventually becomes, quote, your parents' music after 20 years, you know, as it should. I mean, so, if not, it would just be Go-Go. Think of Go-Go in D.C., which really should have been a thing, but just stayed a subculture. So that's what hip-hop would have been. My point was that, you know, uh, hip-hop was inclusive, so I always gave an example of like Run DMC singing about my Adidas made you think, oh, I, I too can do that. Right. Go get some shell toes, 60 bucks, and ah, I'm just like Run DMC. Whereas Jay-Z's approach was basically like, no, you'll never be me. This is what I have, and you can't be this. You want to be this. And so suddenly hip-hop becomes the very thing that <laughs> it was once against. So... It was kind of irresistible because the songs were good. His personality and and his presentation were were flawless that you couldn't even deny it, even though you were theoretically against it. So um, because there was a a civil war going on between the 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 backpack underground versus the mainstream, right? For me to uh, to admit that publicly could have been. Uh, maybe an overthought a classic a mere overthinking suicide and um even to call him because he was like tell him to call me i want to work with him it took two weeks and it took a simpsons joke for the ice to melt <laughs> i was like wait what do you know about troy mcclure <laughs> so <laughs> after that i was like okay all right let's work i wanted to talk about dandro real quick uh, mm -hmm. when i you know i got to interview him for uh, a black messiah and you know i think he was I think we st were supposed to start the interview at 10 p.m. We started at 2 a.m. Yeah. and all that stuff. And, and I was going to say, but, what time did you yeah, start? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, <laughs> it was, uh, 
<laughs> and, you know, and that was the first time. The, the second time we might have finished at six a.m. or something. It was, but I mean, you know, he's, you and I have the, the yeah, same experience. Yeah. <laughs> but he, but he's he. I mean, you know, he's obviously a genius, and uh, you know, it, it's you talk a lot about him with regard to creativity because he is someone who's experienced blocks. Mm-hmm. First of all, like, where where's he at right now? What do you what do you know about him? Um, dare I say, like, still creating some of the most dangerous, mind blowing shit I've ever heard. You he, know, he played me a song from the next album, actually from the the next album, and and it was it was very half finished but it was like a big rock thing i actually couldn't even i could barely it also didn't have vocals so i mm-hmm. or, so it was very hard to like i didn't know what i was really hearing but it was very like it had a lot of surging it was very very different uh very very cool i didn't know what to make of it though i don't think <laughs> block is i'm sorry i know your engineer's like what are you doing okay i don't know if uh even having block any sort of creative block is his thing more than uh I guess what I'll dub, uh, uh, I guess a way to paraphrase it is, um, what's the fable Guns N' Roses album title? Chinese, uh, Chinese democracy. democracy. Yeah, yeah, uh, kind of that syndrome where you don't know where to stop. Mm. We're in that right now. Like we're at a hundred plus songs, and it's like for the roots. Yeah, yeah. Every yeah. day it's just like managers like, dude, just pick twelve, let's go. Like summer's here, pick twelve, let's do it. Um. I feel like he's the same way, which a lot of times, uh, for me, a lot of the artists that are um, to the left of center have a tendency to overthink things. Um, The voices inside their head kind of uh, puts fear in your voice. I mean, this is the reason why you have to have subliminal sleeping. Yeah, he needs to make that that tape for himself, yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, if you think about it, Michael Jackson... Probably the greatest trait of of his artistry is he's the only artist on his level that was never afraid to climb the mountain. Yeah. Because any, he's literally the only artist to never make a departure album. Hmm. Which, I guess in your, oh my God, I was about to say, see in our heads, like I'm a journalist, (laughs) but I think like a journalist, but in our heads, you know, the departure album at least from where I was, used to be like, oh man, this is going to be like the artistic experiment. Like we're going to see them at their best. Um, but later, as I've learned and gotten to know, uh, gotten to know all these characters that are famous for making this stuff, then it hit me like, oh, they're afraid. And this is, you know, sometimes you want to ruin it before you get ruined or that sort of thing. Oh, wow. That's right, right, right. And then I looked in, and at first I was just looking at kind of my generation, you know, like think of any artist that's ever taken 10 to 20 years to make a follow-up record. But then I just started looking, then I looked at every departure album in history and try to figure out, okay, let's see their circumstances. And now it's hard for me to see bitches brew in the way that we do, or Mm. there's a riot going on, or Paul's Boutique, or around the around the world in a day, he sort of already stated like, I don't want to make it look like I'm selling out. I mean, mm-hmm. it was a sort of an eighty-five way of thinking, but he already knew that Purple Rain was going to be so mammoth that you know I don't want my true fans to think that I'm not an artist and that I'm selling out for the fame. Like I want to make so you got to do your around the world in a day. You got to do your ton of love. You got to do your 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 little 
retrenchment. But it's weird. Was Tunnel Love really the departure record? Like, was, uh, what we was could, Nebraska? We, we could we could get. Well, <laughs> it's it's a retrenchment record. I would say that like a pullback. It, it's it's sim- more similar to Around the World in the Day, in in the sense that it's like I did my big thing. I'm gonna pull this thing back a little bit. You think but, he was more embarrassed of how born in the USA sort of got. Uh, I don't know, uh, uh, co-opted and, and used for the wrong ironic reasons. That too. This is, I, I don't want to open this can of worms. We'll talk about it, but yes. Yeah. Yeah. That, it's, but I was just thinking how those two are similar. And of course they're in the same era, but yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> it, if anything, I think with, 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 with D'Angelo, um, you know, he is, he's actively making music. Um, if I can find the time period to come down to the studio, um, my drums are there and I will, finish work but as of now i know that there's 60 songs i mean uh, as of two, my god as of a year ago there were 60 i'm certain now there's at least 100 and and blah 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 i almost he has that like cave of a studio set up with all his vinyl and stuff it's and still it's, 1997 yeah no i mean it's honestly like it, it, he made a little magic place there's certain magic places i've gotten to get to go to with artists, you know, including Paisley Park, and it's like, but that little, I sometimes almost dream of that little dark space he made for himself, because it, it really was a little glimpse of a magic thing. You know what's weird, though? Okay, so, uh, like, two weeks ago, James Poison and I started laughing. He's like, yo, man. He's like, have you ever gotten a text from D? <laughs> I was like, yeah, I text him all the time, and I knew what was coming next. He's like, yo, man, how does he know what emojis are? <laughs> <laughs> which, which is like... <laughs> It, it's that's he's so stuck in his ways like even when we were making black messiah um even though we were in a different studio it was so weird to see exactly the same elements that made voodoo in that environment like i was like yo the first day i was like oh we're wait you guys still use the mpc 60 and Yo, these boxes, CDs, what, what the? And Russ explained to me, like, yeah, it just took them out of storage. Like, once the album was done, he preserved everything, put them in storage. And then when it was time to make them, whoosh, put them back. I'm like, yo, the same candles, the same uh, Nag Chamba incense. Like, I remember this, the, the same holder. Like, I was like, dude, I'm freaked out. Like, this is so 1997. Like, the same CDs and cassettes and his floppy disks. His floppy disk. Like, I made... And to me, it, it was like, I, I, maybe, I, I mean, I, maybe I'm kind of envious of that because yeah, yeah. as as time moves on and technology moves, I sort of move with it and long for like, damn, I wish I had uh, my my Tom Tom from the Things Fall Apart record, which I, it's somewhere in storage now. You see, you you can reproduce every the snare from every Stevie Wonder song, but you didn't bother saving it. But I can't find it. myself. Come on, man. <laughs> Uh, but, but before we uh, were tragically running out of time, I, I, I no, no, I, I have a tend to ramble. No, no, me too. Holes. I did want to ask, uh, you know, when Keith Oberman said that, you know, unfortunate thing about that, oh, the, yeah, the, the Eminem, ra- the Eminem rap was the first, the, the freestyle was the first hip hop he'd ever appreciated. You made a 200 song playlist for at him at five in the morning but here's the twist and mm-hmm. this is what i want to ask you about you didn't actually put any rap songs on it mm-hmm. there's not, not one I, I don't believe there's one actual hip-hop song it was all the kind of everything leading to it so right. i thought that was profound and i can certainly guess what you were getting at there but real quick what what was the thinking there um well m- most of the chagrin of of uh my partners at pandora i used another streaming service 
to make this uh, this list, and my whole goal was to take them to the beginning. And I figured, okay, because of your age, you'll probably I have to take you back to at least when you were in your twenties in the early seventies to uh, to bring them to why hip hop is where it is right now. So my plan was, and I will still execute. Uh, a thorough list of kind of a, 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 a timeline of music. So I, I decided to put in the the breakbeats and the soul music that caused Africa Bimbada and, and Cool Herc uh, to spin these records at parties, which will then, you know, my next part would have been sort of a, a later period of, of the 70s that leads into early. Like I literally wanted to take them through the brilliance of why it's such a work of art, which is so hard. I think, I think the, I think at the end of the day, it's like there, there's a write up I just saw of Donald Glover where they said that, you know, the, the Atlanta can't receive, uh, uh, the, the amount of accolades that Atlanta should be getting for season two, uh, isn't hardly enough. Like, you know, this is, this is MacArthur, uh, genius foundation level of writing for sure. And that, I think it's just often seen that black talent isn't strategic or mm. intellectual. It's just a natural thing. Right. And so, um, you know, rappers rapping and it's not seen as that's why when anyone else does, you know, uh, what black people do or seem to do naturally, then it's seen like, Oh, it's a work of art. It's amazing. <laughs> and that, I think it's just the perception of it. So I had to take them to right. the beginning. Um, and then people s- discovered my secret Spotify playlist. But yeah, and I would that's all I do. All I do is make playlists. I would encourage everyone to, to look that one up. You're listening to Rolling Stone Music Now. I'm Brian Hyatt. We'll have more from my conversation with Questlove when we return. <laughs> I wanted to ask you, you know, there's this thing, and you mentioned George Clinton, like when when I talked to George Clinton recently, mm-hmm. you know, he has this thing, like, you know, if 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 the new music like annoys you and only the kids like it, then it's probably great, you know, and it's like, and you were taught, I mean, you know, you've embraced modern hip hop, and there's obviously so much great stuff. I got in but this, trouble, but but the stuff you were talking about in the book is like, you know, you mentioned like pretty like mainstream adult hip hop, mm-hmm. but what about like this? What about SoundCloud rap? What about you know, like Lil Xan and stuff, isn't there? Because that's what I was wondering, sort of, with the and Gucci game. That's where I'm sort of wondering with the George Clinton theory. Is there ever a point where you're like, man, I'm sorry, this is garbage? <laughs> you know? It is literally okay. I swear to God, not even three minutes before I sat in this chair, uh, my friend Kathy, who works at Pitchfork, um, she's. I told her, I said, look, um, I need you to help me through this. I gave her my email and said. Give me twenty of your favorite SoundCloud rappers, so I can just be aware of it. Um, it's I'm in a really different place now because as a music lover, um, I have my specific taste of what I what, what my default comfort zone is. But then, as a DJ, um, I'm very much, and I deal with this a lot in the the failure portion of uh, right. of of the book. As a DJ. Um, I think it would at least behoove me to uh be aware. Not and not in that like I'm trying to be down and, you know, 
you ask your kids, like, oh, so what are you guys listening to? Uh, oh, the Tyler, the creator. Okay, great. <laughs> that sort of thing. I don't want to be that guy. Um, but it's, it's sort of weird to not get high off your own supply. Like, if you, I'm certain if I would listen to Little Zen, um, that album 20 times in a row, I could probably be Stockholm Syndrome and to be Yeah, like, I, got, I got the same thing. Uh, yeah, it's, I it, feel it, this. If I was going to go interview him, I listened to 20 times. By the 20th time, I might be a fan, you know? Yeah, and that's scary. I, actually, he's <laughs> weird. I just read his Pitchfork review and I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I I have to admit, I like a couple of the songs. But anyway, go ahead. Really? Yeah. yeah. You feel it? In a, in a, in a, in a certain way. <laughs> Uh, yeah. I mean, you'll be surprised. Like, well, here's the thing. Just last week, I did something that my boys told me, "Yo, don't do it," because you know it's going to happen. I went on Instagram. Thing was, it's April, and I'm shocked that there's actual complete albums that I like. Like, it's normal. It's just like, oh, I'm feeling this song. I'm feeling this song. I'll take this song. I'll take this song. Not listen. But lately, I've been not pressing fast forward or shuffle on my streaming device and actually listening to entire records. And then I was like, can I find 10? And I found 10 and I posted about it knowing the other 42 million musicians are like, Oh, what? I couldn't get no love. Quest love. <laughs> so yeah, I, in, in Cardi B's record, I, I was late on Caliucci's record, but her album is almost a forefront, but I don't know. Um, I I can tell smart music uh, from any genre, and if it's praiseworthy, I'll give it, even though it seems out of character to do it, or I shouldn't be doing it. Fair enough. Yeah. So it's been so great to have Questlove on today. Check out his book, Creative Quest. Can we close with Little Zane? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, now now here's some, here's two hours of Little Zane here on volume. Enjoy. That was my conversation with Questlove, who again has a great new book out called Creative Quest. And despite being a drummer, he actually has more good books than a lot of writers. He also has a book called Mometa Blues that's really good, a memoir, and another one called Something to Food About. And of course, you can see him every night on The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon and DJing and playing with The Roots and probably a whole lot of other things as well. So we'll be back next week here on Sirius XM's volume, channel 106. And if you can't get enough of us, be sure to follow all the various socials associated with this show, which would be at SiriusXM Volume for our channel here, at Rolling Stone for Rolling Stone, the lovely publication for which I work, and at Hyatt B, which is just me. And in the meantime, we are a podcast. You can download us as a podcast, subscribe to us as a podcast, wherever you get your podcasts, and maybe leave a nice review for us on iTunes. I do read them all and appreciate them, even the crazy mean ones. And we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening.